This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. So here we are, season three of Driven by Data, the podcast. I'm delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us. We've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way. So all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. In order for your organization to make the best possible business decisions and to make the most of your data, you need the very best people. And that's where Orbition Group comes in. We have a proven track record in partnering with some of the largest brands in the world to the most innovative and disruptive startups and everything in between. We go beyond traditional recruitment services. The organizations which we partner with benefit from the added extras that we offer, such as raising your organization's brand awareness to the data and analytics community, providing you with insights into the current market and your competition, benchmarking you against the industry to give you the best chance to successfully attract the best talent. We want to become an extension of your business to identify, engage, attract and retain the best talent possible. If this sounds of interest, please reach out today by visiting orbitiongroup.com. Welcome everyone to the the penultimate day of our diversity and data conference. And now my name's Jenny Andrew. I'm a member of the committee for Dama UK. That's one of the co-conveners of the conference. And somewhere in the background um, on standby in case I vanish is Jonathan Headley from the BCS Data Management Specialist Group. This joint conference of ours is a really a recognition of how much our two organizations have in common. Um, so, so who are we? Well, Dama UK is the UK arm of the International Data Management Association. We are publishers of the Data Management Body of Knowledge and awarders of CDMP qualifications. Our UK chapter is really a, a, a volunteer-run community building networks and resources and education and influence for the profession itself um, and for data professionals at all stages of their careers. BCS, meanwhile, is the Professional Association for Computing and they're raising standards in skills and culture and ethics throughout the IT industry. Now, their data management specialist group uh, cultivates the priority and understanding of, not very surprisingly, data management uh, among IT professionals. And I want to give a special shout out to BCS women who are also helping convene the conference this year, really in tribute to the, the theme. Now, BCS Women is another of the BCS uh, specialist groups. They offer uh, collective advocacy, really, to women and non-binary folk in tech careers. And um, as myself, a third-generation woman in tech, like that, that means a lot to me. We still have a long way to go to build real structural gender equity into tech careers. But enough of that. On to today's business and it is a genuine delight to welcome two veritable celebrities of the data world. We've got Catherine King and Kyle Winterbottom and if you don't know who they are, how? Kyle is the founder and CEO of Orbition Group. Um, They do talent solutions and advice specializing in data and analytics. And to be honest, I think a lot of us know you, Kyle, from the fabulous Driven by Data podcast. Um, Catherine is Orbition's global head of brand engagement and by all accounts, a total force of nature in events and outreach and community management and the works. Now, 
before I hand over to them, I really want to encourage you, and it's been brilliant this week, the engagement from our um, attendees. So add your questions. If you can put them in the Q&A, then we can see all of them together. We can upvote them and we can make sure that we don't lose them. And I think that's enough from me. Um, So I'm going to hand over to Catherine and Kyle. The floor is yours. Wow. I mean, Jenny, can you introduce us every time? Because if we've got an intro like that, I mean, we've been doing events left, right and centre. Oh, my goodness. Well, firstly, huge thanks for for inviting us to come along. Um, I know we were joking behind the scenes that uh, this is a topic that Kyle and I could talk about for days. And and it is, if you've seen us on LinkedIn, very much is the topic we talk about for for, for days at a time. Um, We're very excited to to come here and talk to you all about the evolving landscape of data analytics talent. And I think uh, what we'll end up covering is very much is evolving uh, and it's constantly changing. So thank you for for coming and being part of this session today to learn a little bit about this. Um, And and, and let's dive dive in. So uh, you did such a lovely intro uh, there. Uh, for us, uh, Jenny. So thank you. So yes, my name is Catherine. My preferred pronouns are she and her. And I am the Global Head of Brand for Orbition Group. And it means that I get the wonderful task of looking after our community, which consists of our mentorship, our events, and as you mentioned, the podcast as well. And uh, Kyle, can you give us a quick intro? Uh, quick, maybe not quick, but I can give you an intro. Um, yeah, so I've been in the data and analytics talent space for the last 13 years. I'm founder of Orbition Group. And uh, as Jenny very, very marvelously said, we are talent solutions and advisory specialists purely in the data analytics space, uh, obviously headquartered in the UK, but work across Europe and the US as well and help teams of all different businesses of all different shapes and sizes to to build teams, uh, not just any teams, but very well-rounded and diverse teams. So uh, I think that's why we've been asked to to contribute. So a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So today we do only have an hour session. Uh, so we're, we're by all means not going to cover everything. And we do just want to address the elephant in the room. We are clearly white, middle-class, this people there are going to be gaps in this conversation and we want to acknowledge that straight away and we would encourage anyone that has a different perspective to us please add your thoughts and comments into the chat because we welcome that and we appreciate there are going to be gaps in this conversation that being said we are going to have a bit of a chit chat about current trends that we're seeing in the data analytics space and as Kyle mentioned there we do serve uh, such a broad community that hopefully we can give you a bit of a lay of the land of how that looks in multiple regions as well, not just the UK. Uh, I'm going to take the steer on encouraging more women into senior leadership. Uh, There's been some articles and research published just today, so I've had to update my slides just before hopping on here uh, because it's more uh, prevalent than than ever that we discuss this. And then Kyle's going to take back the reins to give you some practical thoughts on creating diverse teams in, in real life. Now, just before we dive into that, Carl did mention a little bit about what we do here. We just wanted to give a bit of scope uh, to, to all of that. Carl, I didn't know if you want to add in any uh, any other layers. Uh, yeah, be useful. I think, um, obviously, Kat, we're, we're very active on LinkedIn um, in terms of the community and what's going on in the data analytics landscape. And I think that often leads to people maybe not knowing so much about the, the nuts and bolts of, of kind of what we do, right? But um, I guess just a very very high level our business is split into to two key sections you've got talent advisory on the front end so that's working with organizations to help them understand their workforce planning requirements how you uh, develop and design um fit for purpose job architecture so job descriptions which anyone that knows me you know that's a, I'm a fan fan favorite um you know talent analytics and intelligence around market and salaries and benchmarking and diversity and so on and so forth, and all the way through to kind of raising the brand awareness. So that's the advisory piece. Talent solutions piece is very much um, two sides of that coin. Executive search, that's serving the kind of, you know, uh, head of director, VP, CDAO type of of community. Um, And and then the other side is helping organizations of various shapes and sizes to, to scale that capability. So that could be working with a VC-backed startup to help them um, you know, grow by five, 10 people over the next six months. It could be working with a FTSE 100, Fortune 100 that needs to hire 80 people over the next two years. Uh, but we design all of that strategy roadmap 
and then obviously over a series of phases implement that in and as hopefully everyone knows um our business is really underpinned and propped up by the community that we serve which is split into the three uh, prompts that you see there obviously our podcast um our events that have been going for many years now and obviously our latest edition which is the mentorship um but all of this you can find uh a bit more information about on our website if you're if you're interested and you know not only to to add a bit of color to to what we do but hopefully it explains that we get to hear about the talent discussion from so many perspectives whether that's companies looking to hire or candidates looking for that next cdo role or perhaps uh, even more junior we do uh, we're very very fortunate to have very candid discussions every single day so we're very excited to share those with you today so uh, Carl, take it away. Talk to us a bit about the the trends you're seeing. Yeah, so I mean, God, there's there's so much to to talk about on on, on this. Um, it's often difficult to find the right um, the right starting point. But I think the obviously, you know, taking it back to my my favourite part of this industry and job descriptions and how terribly terribly awful they are. Uh, I had to get that in um, right at the start. Um, but I think the often job descriptions are the, the the key fundamental point of why we have a lack of diversity in data is my personal opinion um in the way that they are written um in the way that they attempt to attract and engage with people um and, and obviously if you think about the the non-stem routes i think we're we're at a point in time data analytics as an industry has been um very guilty of going hiring uh, very very technical people in practically every single role um, and we've come a long way since then right so what the trends we are seeing now is that businesses are very well aware that there are you know the more well-rounded and diverse their team is and when i say diverse i don't just mean in terms of uh, gender or ethnicity how people look etc but also diversity of thought so um, you know the background and experiences and, and i guess the roots that people can end up in data from is um is is kind of that's definitely getting better so that's a trend that we're seeing which is which is 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 great um i, I think that the non-stem routes into data are are, are interesting so i think I, I share this story quite a lot but just to uh, reiterate i do a lot of public speaking at universities to try and raise the profile of data um now there's an argument that by that point in time it may be too late right but um i support a a program called the qstep community which is basically a government backed initiative where um they basically assign a data analytics <coughs> course into the social sciences faculty so these people are doing data analysis based on social science use cases effectively um now when i go and speak to that auditorium that room um you know there's probably 100 and odd people it's uh, graduate undergraduates uh, phd students master's students probably the most diverse room i've ever stood in and the thing that is mad and crazy to me is that there's people in there that are have studied for four five six seven years sometimes doing data analysis that want to get into the industry but only view this from a lens of social sciences they are completely unaware that data is a can can be you know they could get a, a role working in a commercial business for you know i don't know brands that they might know and love um doing data work so i think there needs to be a lot more emphasis on raising the awareness because you know if you let's take i don't know a computer science undergrad just by the sheer demand in the industry for those technical skills, they will just be pulled in. But like that's just going to happen naturally. But we talk about a talent shortage. It's always baffled me that we can have, you know, talk about how how talent short the data analytics industry is, yet we're doing nothing on the flip side of, of that to try and bring more people from more diverse backgrounds in. So I think that's something we're we're certainly seeing um diversity of thought and representation that's you know i touched upon that earlier but i think organizations starting to see the difference and this is something i speak to organizations a lot about right because you i often get the standard we'd love to have a diverse shortlist and, and of course you would who wouldn't right however my opinion on this is most businesses what when they talk about diversity what they actually mean is representation right they want someone to look different 
to their existing business. Uh, and there's a couple of things to this. First of all, if somebody um, looks different, it's not as easy as you, you know, I don't know if you have a board of all white middle-aged men and you want to go and hire a, a female into your senior leadership team, it's not just as easy as going hiring a female into your senior leadership team because that female looks at that and says, well, why would I want to work there? Because there's obviously an issue here, right? So there's this misconception that this can just be a problem. I'm going to digress here for a slight second, Kat, so bear with me, but talent acquisition as a term, I hate it, right? Because it, it implies that you can just go and buy someone. And that is not the case. Not, not in data analytics, it's not, right? Um, and it doesn't help the diversity conversation one bit because these people just think, okay, you know, we need more women, we need more people of color, we need more, whatever the case may be, we'll just go and get them. And it doesn't work like that. In fact, the problem just gets worse at each end or better at each end of the spectrum because the, the businesses that are truly diverse genuinely attract more diverse people. The ones that aren't diverse can't attract more diverse people. So that the gap is getting bigger. Um, and I think, you know, we talk about we talk about diversity of thought, but most businesses are actually they're looking at this in terms of the exterior of an individual. So I think diversity of thought is something that the data and analytics industry is talking more about. That's definitely a trend in terms of, you know, it's not just how someone looks and maybe where they come from. It, it is about the background that they have, the experience that they have, so that they think about things differently and have a different perspective. Um, and obviously then that starts to play into how you, you know, there are a lot of non-technical roles now starting to, to come up in, in data, right? You know, so there's a, a whole host of funky titles out there, the, the translator, the data journalist, um, you know, you're starting having teams now bringing in pure change and comms teams into data analytics, which is, is absolutely perfect in the way it should be, because not every role does need to be technical. I think we've certainly proven that we are, you know, the, the bit that lets us down in data isn't the technicalities. It's, it's not having the right technical people in the right roles. It's having the people that have the skills um, to face into the business and and get this stuff used and adopted um, and ultimately provide business value from that right. That said, the caveat that I do want to mention, uh, and I've been flagged upon this many times, so um, you know, just not, not trying to take credit for this one, but there, there definitely is something in the fact that what we don't want to be doing is just because now there are non-technical roles in both leadership and um, more generally that doesn't mean that that's where the you know more diverse people get pushed to um there still needs to be the opportunity for more diverse people to get into the technical roles as well because that's where there's a there, there is also a problem so um i hope that gives you a bit of flavor um obviously i could i, I could rant on, on this stuff all day so uh, rain me back rain me back in please before i before i go I know I only included three bullet points on this for, for a reason, <laughs> Carl, goodness me. And uh, I can see there's some emojis flying up on my screen. So thank you for reacting. And I know the Q&A is open for, for questions, but if you do have thoughts or experiences to this discussion, please, uh, please do share if you feel if you feel uh, uh, OK to do so. Um, as I mentioned at the start, I saw this on LinkedIn literally pop up and I knew I had to include this this screenshot because I think for me, it really cements why I wanted this to be part of our discussion here today. And as you can see at the bottom there, uh, meanwhile, more than two fifths believe men make better business executives than women. And that's directly from the UN. That's the reality, right? That's, that's the culture. So leave off the data piece, leave off the tech piece. This is the, this is the business environment that we are in. So. If you are joining this call as a woman who is pushing to be in this space, and I do say pushing intentionally because I don't think any woman is having an easy journey into this space by any means. If you are in this space and you have at any point felt that it's been challenging, I just want to bring up the statistic to say, you know what, so many others are, uh, are experiencing this, this too. But there are some things that you can do as an individual. And if you are uh, listening in, because I get so many messages and I, I, I pop into conferences and people always they, they kind of corral me to the side and they go, hey, you're pretty good at this female leadership thing in data. I'm struggling. What's the top tips? And it's always kind of hush hush. But there are so many things that we can do to, to make 
female leadership and women in data something that that we prioritize as as organizations but first I want to take the individuals because I think there's things that we we can be doing and kind of top tips for making sure that as leaders we're, we're progressing as 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 far as we should be and, and as far as we want to be uh, regardless of who we are as as people so I'm very very fortunate to have a group of brilliant female data leaders who uh, regularly chat to me and, and tell me all about what's what's going on. So they've, they've uh, informed uh, a lot of what I'm about to say here today. And the three things that I see people really embracing in their careers and, and something that they, they really go forward with is mentorship events and then tackling imposter syndrome. And I just want to say a disclaimer now, I'm not pitching our mentorship or events in this. This is, this is separate to that. When I say mentorship, and we'll dive into this one first. I just mean going out there and finding a coach, a mentor, a person you look up to. And it may not even be in data. It might be in business. It may be you know, external to that. Someone that you find interesting, inspiring, and who can give you uh, key advice. And something that uh, often happens is people get persuaded by people and, and they get put down by people. And I say, well, these are the people you go to for advice. And they go, no, Catherine, they wouldn't. Stop listening to those people. Go find the people you do want to listen to and do want to learn from. Those who access mentors in whatever capacity, whether it's formal or informal, they tend to do so much better, quicker, because they have someone to soundboard against. They have the ability to not feel alone because they can ask their mentor, hey, how would you deal with this situation? Or this is something that I've been going through. Do you have a similar type uh, of experience? You don't necessarily even have to have a woman in data mentor. You know, you don't have to just stay in, in that community. You can go out and find a mentor in, in, in any shape or form but I really do advocate you finding somewhere in that journey of where you want to go and asking them to spend that bit of time with you. Events and external networking. What always shocked me when I had my career in, in event building was looking at the feedback forms. And I would always include the question, what did you get out of this event that you didn't, you didn't go with the intention of, of getting back? And so many people put validation the idea that, you know, in, in, in many organizations, the data teams are so, so small and it can sometimes feel like you are the only person on earth experiencing these challenges. Actually, you go up to these events and you hear that all of these industries, no matter their size, no matter their budget, they're all roughly speaking and, and, and saying that the same thing. So you have that validation. But also, if you are perhaps the only female leader in, in your uh, data team, you can go out and meet other female leaders who perhaps are walking through the same path and journey as you. And that amount of community, I just, I can't put a price tag on how valuable that is, especially for your, for your growth. And then imposter syndrome. I have a real problem with the words imposter syndrome. I think it places so much emphasis on the individual rather than the culture around it. If you are being made to feel like you shouldn't be in your position, despite the fact you've been hired for it, there's something culturally going on there. And what I would suggest, and you know, Kyle and I are constantly talking to clients about roles, et cetera. There are plenty of roles out there. Don't stick around in a place that makes you feel less than and find a culture that fits you. And I, I just wanted to put that there because I, uh, in, in in other areas of my work, I hear imposter syndrome all, this, all the time. But really, we can probably drill it back to the environment that's making you feel like that. It's not that you are uh, in a situation that you're less than or, or shouldn't be. So that's the individual. But what what as a company can, can you do to, to help female leaders, help elevate women in your teams up to senior leadership if that is something they want to achieve? And this is by no means an exhaustive list. So the first thing, culture. We and as I as I draw from the um, draw from the the UN, there we have a culture that has a problem very much still. It's important that we recognise that, and it's important we look at our organisations and say, hey, what can we do that makes sure that everyone is inclusive, that everyone is included rather, and that we are as inclusive as possible. It's like. Are your networking sessions at 3 p.m.? Most parents will tell you what happens around 3 p.m. 
And if we look at the statistics, we know that the primary caregiver is still a woman nine times out of 10. That's not quite the statistic, but you get my point. It's being intentional with thinking about where these opportunities may be. And I, I, I use networking opportunity there because, as we know, that's where many promotions happen. That's where much business and uh, growth happens is organically. It's not in these meetings that people are sat around. It's around the water cooler. And if you're building that time in for times that it's difficult for women to, to participate fully, you're letting the side down. Opportunities as well, thinking of ways that we can bring people together in a meaningful way. And, and that can be big events and, and lunch and learns, but it can also be the smaller opportunities. Are you sat around a boardroom and everyone's speaking over each other and you've noticed that one person hasn't participated? Could we could we have that moment where we go, oh, hang on, everyone, I've not heard from? Do you have the opportunity as an individual and as an organization to make sure voices are heard? I've just seen a, a comment come in the chat here. Kathy's saying online webinars at 7 p.m. are a problem too. Don't know they have their time for a little. Exactly, exactly that. So it's you're never going to please everyone and you're never going to be wholly inclusive. Definitely being mindful of those things. Thank you for sharing, Kathy. And the final one there, we we see this a lot, or we get asked this a lot, actually. You know, what's the what's the working thing now? Obviously, the pandemic put in uh, a bit of a spanner to the works of what was traditional working. Um, the answer is most places are now hybrid, two or three days in the office, and then flexible working around that. You know, not many are prescribing it's got to be a Monday and a Tuesday. There's kind of office touch points. Again, dragging it back to reality. And as much as we like to think we're further ahead than we are, there is an element that flexible working is far more inclusive than that traditional nine to five being in the office. It's really, really uh, important to be thinking of how you can uh, uh, increase leadership uh, for, for women in that way that, that people are, are able to work in a way that works for them. Because as we know from the pandemic, it doesn't need to be just one way. You don't need to be in the office line until five, five days a week to be successful, to challenging those, those norms as well. So that's a real whistle-stop tour by, by uh, all means of, of things that we can do as individuals to make sure we're promoting ourselves, but then also as organisations, things we can be doing as well. Kyle, back to you. Thank you, Kat. Um, so obviously, as, as part of what we do, um, I guess, in the talent advisory space, helping organisations um, kind of trod trodden this path um we we talk to them a lot about how they're going about attracting talent more holistically but how they can do that in a um in in a diverse friendly and, in, and inclusive way i guess so you just take the the bullet points here back to back to job description so start raining me and cat because there's, there's a chance i'm just gonna let let rip here but um i guess there's several things to this right um First of all, language matters, right? Language is really important. And, and I talk to organizations to death about how they tell their story and, and everything that comes with that, you know, and, and encompasses that more holistically. But from a, a diversity and inclusion standpoint, um, this, there's a lot of things that you can do, right? So everybody knows that most job descriptions are absolutely terrible and there's a bit of fluff, you know, corporate stuff. Um, and then it's a shopping list normally of technical requirements that's, you know, 15, 20, sometimes more um, kind of items long. Now, there's not a person on planet Earth in the history of recruitment that has probably ever ticked every single box, right? But we all know the statistic around how, you know, most men, if they've got half, at least half, they'll uh, I'll throw my name into the hat. If women don't have eight or nine out of the 10, they won't. The reality is to do that job, you probably need one or two of those things. So actually put on the requirements, the actual requirements. I think most organizations put those list of, of kind of technical competencies because uh, they just need to fill the space, right? And they don't know what else to write, which is what we help them with normally. Um, so language is important, put the actual requirements on there. And then I think Organizations do this in a way of trying to stand out. So this is a really kind of fine balance. However, if you talk about what people identify with and you want to be inclusive and from a language perspective, and let's 
being frank, it's the tech startup scene that you do tend to see this more in, to be honest with you. But, you know, we're looking for data ninjas or data wizards or data superheroes or data marvels or whatever, right? You get my point. Um, if you're trying to be inclusive and attract a diverse and build a, di- a diverse workforce, that type of language is probably not going to help you, right? So I'll leave that there because I could spend the next probably three hours talking about job descriptions. Uh, as you've mentioned, Kat, hybrid working, um, you know, I think we're at a place now where that has become the norm, but it's just being mindful. And actually, what does hybrid working mean? Because if it's very prescriptive and structured, is that actually, is that actually flexibility or, you know, um, if you have a parent that needs to leave at 3 p.m. to pick the kids up at half three, is that okay? And then they can make the time up after. So there's there's a lot of things around that, but most organizations, if you're asking someone to be in the office nine to five in this day and age, five days a week, you're probably gonna struggle. So I think you know the the the, the diversity piece around that is uh is interesting. Um you talk about impact. So this is something that I love getting into with organizations um, for two reasons, right? First of all, the data analytics industry has has come a very long way um, in the last five years. But if you were, you know, if we were to rewind five, five, seven years ago, maybe, um, it's probably safe to say that the bulk of the industry made their cho- employment choices based on the name above the door how much they were going to get paid, how sexy the tech was and how sexy the projects were, right? Uh, unfortunately, many people feel burnt by how many apparent data-driven organizations we had at that point in time and realized actually they went into environments where their work wasn't being used, it wasn't being adopted, it wasn't visible, um, and therefore the value that they were able to add and the impact that they were having was minimal and not seen. And, and everybody is driven by purpose. Right. So we talk a lot linking back to the job descriptions about how do you make people understand how their work will be visible, valuable, and have an impact. Right. So, on a personal perspective, impact is really important. Equally, organizationally, that's also really important. Right. In regards to people will choose to work at places where the, the overall mission and values and purpose of the organization is A, aligned with theirs, but B, doing good for the planet in general, right? Um, and society and and all sorts of things, right? So, I mean, I don't know, renewable energy would be a great example, right? Versus, I don't know, a tobacco company or gambling company as an example. Um, and then the last thing there is is on kind of hiring process and the, uh, <laughs> the amount of time it, it potentially takes for people to get through the hiring process, how inclusive that, that process is, um, you know, th- th- there's a whole host of things here and a whole host of different metrics. But um, when we whittle it down, I think these four things tend to to come out on on top. Um, I'm conscious of of time, and I could ramble all day. So uh, people might want to ask if anyone's got specific questions about any of these. More than happy to to answer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so we've covered the the trends, the leadership, and and the action piece. But we we are keen to to hear your questions uh, uh, if you've got them. And I think there's a couple here in the chat. So let me just get rid of this screen so that I can see it properly. Amazing. Thank you so much for, for sending these these in. So Orbition has a pretty awesome profile. Thank you. Always like it when it starts like that. As a bit, as a bit fierce on telling hiring managers what's what. So if you were to give a workplace a couple of home truths about inclusivity, what would they be? Um, I can, I'll, I'll take that bit first, Carl, and then, then I'll hand to you. I think it's very similar to, to my experience in, in the event world that speaking with uh, uh, so many female leaders as I do, they can smell it a mile off. They can smell when it's a, a play to get the token female leader or the token person of color. They know what you're doing and it just destroys your brand. It does not look good. And, uh, you know, something that that Kyle touched on earlier, the data community is is small. People talk, 
And it's just such a disaster when when that happens. So if you're going to to make a play to to improve in this area, do it for the right reasons because people will see straight straight through it. Uh, Kyle, uh, do, you, do you have any other thoughts on that one? I think it just goes back to what we were discussing earlier, Kat, right, about the uh, diversity versus representation thing. I think that 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 really is what it what it comes down to. In fact, uh, do you? It all comes back to the purpose of why you're doing this. Are, are you doing this for diversity in the sense of diversity of thought and want an inclusive workforce so that you can challenge the norm and have different perspectives and maybe come up with innovative and, and different ways of looking at things and, and, and challenging things, et cetera? Or are you doing this to tick a box, appease a board and say, hey, look, here is the, the token lady who now sits in our data team, or here is the token person of color that sits in our, our data team. So I think it's really about, that's the home truth. Like, why are you doing this? I think that's the question that that we often end up asking. Um, and as I said earlier, nine times out of 10, you know, uh, we'd really like a diverse shortlist. That's that's the thing that, that they say all the time. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Yeah, so does every other business on planet Earth. What, what, does, what do you mean by that? What does that mean to you and why? Yeah. So I think that's the... It, it all comes back to that for me. And I think, you know, we, we've purposely not touched on this because looking at the fabulous agenda that you guys have had this week, uh, we feel that others have, have spoken to this, but, you know, the, the reasons behind this should be, you know what, data ethics is a huge, important area. Uh, we know that we this is going to be uh, an increased area of potential, you know, real, real challenge. And we've seen some some scary use cases already and it's going to continue happening. Um, so so those should be the reasons, right? This that you want people around the table to to get ahead of those so that you can innovate and be competitive and use every tool that you you have to do that. And you know, we've purposely not spoken about that here because it's it's been covered extensively, but just wanted to to uh uh drop that in. So we've we've had another one and someone's gonna put 50p in you, Kyle. So so just <laughs> steady here. How how do poor job descriptions persist when they are so incredibly useless, even inappropriate in describing the actual role? Is there anything uh, is is anything improving in this space? <laughs> oh dear. Um, where do I start with this? Is anything improving? Okay. Um, unfortunately, not so much. I think the one of the main reasons why I see this uh, happening is. There's, there's a there's a couple of reasons, right? First of all, normally the the hiring manager, so the person responsible, normally the data leader or whoever, um, is disconnected from the process of hiring and recruitment. So uh, they are often the people with the knowledge that will be able to articulate that. Okay, it's these factors about our business that make this an interesting place to work. However, the people that are often responsible for bringing talent into the business. Uh, are obviously not those people. So there's a disconnect in, in knowledge. So that's often the starting point. The next point from there is that often, especially this happens more so in larger organizations, but often there's there's HR processes, templates, guidelines, um, and most job, job descriptions um, are formulated through a system, right? And it's like a, a box. So the prescribed questions that you have to give prescribed answers two and then out of the other side spits this god awful looking job description um so there's that thing we've not touched upon here is adverts and job descriptions have two different purposes right i was talking about this um uh, data literacy academy course that i taught this week you know would you see uh, an advert for a fast food company that turned around and said to eat this burger you need to be able to consume 13 1300 calories blah 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 no you know would you would you see a car billboard on the side of the road that says you know listed all the instructions of the manual no you wouldn't right so the the advert is there to generate interest and attract attention the job description puts context to that most businesses use it as one and the same thing right so and, that, and that's a problem in of itself so i think i could talk about this stuff for days but i think they're the the, the key the key things yeah for sure yeah Amazing. Uh, Bob, I have seen your question. I'm not going to answer it because if you could add just a little bit more context surrounding it first, just to make sure that we add value to to, to you in that. Jenny, I love your your thoughts there. 
yes exactly you know what what is a wizard what do you what do you do with that and we've actually had another question come in jonathan thank you for sending this in uh what language instead of ninja or wizard would you suggest replacing it with Carl, i'll let you take that first um i i don't think you need to um necessarily describe something that people need to identify with right i think this is the the thing like we, we talk a lot about um you know the title of the role would would be more than enough um i don't think it's necessarily about that what what we're calling people i mean job the difficulty in data analytics is job titles are so unstandardized which makes it a real problem you know when someone's looking at a job description you've got different titles for the same job you've got the same job with different titles you know you a whole host of uh, it's a bit of a mess um but i think in terms of what do you call it it's in my opinion it's more about explaining what will you become by coming and working for this business what will you get in return how how do we how do we make you feel what impact will you have what what will that do for your career what are we expecting you to do for us but that that's often not articulated you know it, it, it's it's ironic because we talk about data storytelling till we're blue in the face in this industry right and the importance of like communication that we off the cuff use very flippantly um yet we are seemingly unable to tell a story to attract our most important asset which is people to come and work for our organizations which is equally ironic because organizations spend multi-millions of pounds every year doing that to attract customers but yet won't do it to attract their supposed biggest asset. So I don't think we need to describe or put a label on what we are looking for. You know, the title of the role will do and then explain what what that is. And, you know, and then it's the the advert especially should be more about the person and and what it does, you know, for for, for them in terms of bringing them into the organization. Yeah. And I I mean, just just to add my kind of opinion to, to this, for me, it's comparable to the companies that really lean on the bean bags and the pizza parties. And I think there is a cultural shift away from that or something that I've certainly seen where people, again, people aren't dumb. They can see through things. What they want is career progression. Data people are curious. They want to know the exciting stuff they're going to work on. And if it's not super sexy and exciting, they want to see the business impact they're going to have. They can see through the bean bags. They can see through the, the table tennis tables. What they want is the, the ability to have impact. And again, I think when you're hiding behind language of ninja and wizard, it almost feels like, well, what, what aren't you showing? I, I want to be a head of data engineering. I, I don't want to be a wizard. That's not what I what I uh, uh, grew up to, to to want to be. And I think culturally, that that's a really interesting interesting area uh, uh, for sure. Now, uh, another question. Goodness me, all these questions. Thanks everyone for sending these in. Uh, how is data and in brackets and IT compared to other sectors? Kyle, I'll go to you for that one. I think it depends through what lens you are looking at it from a diversity standpoint. I think, uh, obviously, data and technology, more broadly speaking, are still a bit behind the curve, I'd say, right? You know, if you look at most other, most other domains in a business, you know, if it's marketing or, I don't know, it's sales or finance, I think from a diversity and inclusion standpoint are typically um there's more balance there for sure but that that's possibly a maturity thing a maturity thing and also the fact that most businesses have been focusing on hiring the wrong skill sets where the a diverse and inclusive group isn't represented in in those types of roles at that point in time it's difficult i mean i was speaking with an organization yesterday who was saying they focus on on graduate recruitment at a large scale so um you know at that level as an entry, you know, a graduate scheme, there's there's more parity, right? It's not 50-50 by any stretch, but there's more parity. But then you go to the leadership, realms of leadership, and you know, the 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 gap is is dreadful. Um and and often, you know, the reality of that situation I was I was saying to, to the gentleman in question was, well that that's great. You've got a parable work for a more parable workforce now, but you know, you've got an immediate problem, but effectively you're going to have to wait for five to 10 years for these graduates to just gain that experience and move up in their career until they might be, you know, represented at a higher level. So it's, it, it's, a, it's really difficult, but 
organizations really need to have a look at you know what they're doing um on that and i think you know, unfortunately sometimes that that does force the wrong behaviors that does force right we need to go and get someone now because this is problem it, op, the optics of this don't look good and therefore they they go and try and you know acquire someone to come in and it's a tick box representation exercise unfortunately and and i mean that's where all of this gets messy in the inter- intersection right because it's not just a gender thing and it's not just a race thing but there's an age thing as well if we think of the career paths of those 40 years ago and think about society 40 years ago very different makeup so they've gone through their careers to a certain extent and they are the result of that so what is really exciting about these companies that have these graduate programs is in 30, 40 years time, it's going to be better. And then 40 years time, we'll have another challenge and we'll be working with that. So it is important to allow yourself, not the not the get out of jail free card by any stretch, but this is a complex thing. And I think everything we're talking about right now is hard to do. It, it's not a quick fix. It, 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 it takes time for sure. Uh, Bob, so I'm keen to answer your, your question. You've added a bit of uh, context there and in you, you expressed that you don't like working into mid to late evening. Um, on my point about the the parenting cover and, and Carl's point, I think what what we mean is it's not even a case of um, being inclusive. Just you know, just because someone's a parent doesn't mean they're automatically you know get time off or, or time covered. But there's that option too. It's that case of working around people and and what works for them. Uh, because at the end of the day, right, no one's going to stay in the job if they're not working. If they're not delivering results, guess what? They're going to be out of a job pretty darn quick. If you can allow someone to succeed, and that might be that you say, hey, log back in seven till nine. And once the children are in bed, great. Because at the end of the day, as a company, really, you should just care about things getting done. Now, I appreciate that gets complex if you're talking about cross-regional teams or they're a manager and they've got people reporting into them. Again, it's messy. It gets complex. But as a culture, what we should be looking to do and in every aspect, and I I use parenting as an example, but, you know, if, if you have a team member who's perhaps dyslexic, can you adopt an AI software that transcribes um, uh, meeting notes so that when they come away from the meeting, they've got notes because perhaps they aren't able to jot down in their notepad as quickly as others? There's so much we can do to include others to be the best versions of themselves. But sometimes we just have to understand and be willing to change to allow people to, to succeed. Um, Power, I don't know if you want to add in anything to that. Uh, no, I think you've covered it, Cap. There, yeah. There's no, um, nothing, nothing much more that I can uh, can say to make that that any better. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay, Jenny has popped in the chat. This is really interesting. E.g., I'm in a very male-dominated corner of a much more gender balanced, actually majority female organisation. Love that. Does that open doors for cross-functional mentorship and sponsorship? Power thoughts. Uh, yeah, I think it does. I think to your point earlier, um, I don't think, I mean, e- even from a gender standpoint, right, there are plenty of uh, many, in fact, you know, male advocates who support the whole women in data movement. So it's not even that it needs to be, you know, another high-flying female, um, you know, but I think, yeah, absolutely. I don't think it needs to be set to just data or just technology. You know, if uh, there are other leadership figures that you can, you know, people can create uh, relationships and alliances with and and have, you know, learn from and have experiences with, um, I think that's that's great in, in whichever form it comes in, right? Providing that they are uh, adding value to what you're hoping to get out of that from a kind of mentorship perspective. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. I, I love the question that's just come in the chat here. Uh, can you share anything about the way that the, the better organisations approach this? And can, can you name any? <laughs> love that. Uh, Carl, I'll let you take that first and then I'll, I'll take it by naming some leaders who I think are particularly good at this. Uh, just give me some steer cat. What, what question is this from reference to, sorry? Uh, just the most recent one. So, uh are there any that are doing, you know, better in terms of an organizational approach to to diverse hiring and, and building teams? Are there anyone that springs to mind for you? Oh. I appreciate you may not be able to name names, but mm. yeah, possibly and shouldn't name names. I might get in trouble. 
and pick this up offline, Ed. Yeah, yeah, no, no worries. And I think in terms of in terms of leaders, um, there, there's always this this rhetoric almost that there are no, but there clearly are, right? Um, so I mean, like I said, I'm big in the in the female leadership space. Daimes, WPP, go follow her. Nirali Patel from Liberty Global. D. Samra from Liberty Global, which if I can name two female leaders in one space, perhaps they're doing quite well. Um, Katia Walsh, who's just joined Harvard Business. Um, there, there's so, so many, and they're, they're all amazing leaders who I know give oceans of time to, to mentorship. So if you're sat in here thinking, oh, yeah, I could do with a mentor, you know, th- these are the sorts of people that even just following on LinkedIn, engaging in their content is going to be going to be a positive uh, thing for sure. Yep. Now, just looking at the time, I think we've we've, we've probably come to the to the end of uh, uh, of this this particular session today. Because I can I can feel the the chat uh, drying up a little bit. So, Jenny, I'll, I'll pass back to you. But thanks so much for having us. Oh, honestly, this has just been absolutely amazing, and I like I have a bazillion um, questions that I would like to ask. Just just before I let you go. Um, one of the things that strikes me is you have such a great vantage um, across different businesses, across, you know, the big and the small and, you know, those that are in and out of tech. Like, do you ever think about um, the data that you could assemble kind of as a, a, a sort of state of the nation report on how businesses are doing, how the, the data and analytics space is doing on diverse hiring? Yeah, so that's something. Um, so we, I guess, as part of our um, ser- advisory service um, to the organisations that we partner with, um, we we do we kind of have a talent intelligence capability, basically. So and that can do a whole host of of things. Um, but one of them being, you know, we can we can delve into specific skill sets in any geography in the world that breaks down, you know, by country, by uh, state, by region, by city, as granular as you want to go. And it will give you things like, you know, salary ranges, um, years of experience, the companies that are hiring the most in that space, then the companies that have the most uh, of that skill set within those locations, you can compare and contrast. So from a talent standpoint, it helps us to really guide and advise um, the, the organizations that we partner with. However, one of the key metrics that it does look at is we can filter all of this by um, gender, first of all, right, and ethnicity and years of experience. So what you start to see is, uh, you know, we can pull these reports together and it's really interesting actually when you see, you know, I don't know, it might be uh, a data engineer that needs to have snowflake experience with insurance as a sector in London and you flick the years of experience, right? And at the at the zero to three level, it might be, you know, oh, there's 38% female um, you know, the rest, the rest male, whatever the case may be. And then you flip it up to eight plus years experience and it just goes, you know, um, and this graph is okay. Now it's 87% male, um, 13% female. So it's really interesting. We, it's not just actually how many people are working in data. We can filter it by, um, actual skill sets. And that's something that me and Kat are actually working on at the moment to produce a report around the differences around around that um so that we can see you know by years of experience by different job titles by different geographies um the the ethnicity split the gender split so that's something that we're we're currently in transit with in kind of pulling together so yeah keep keep your eyes peeled that's brilliant brilliant the the other thing that i just wanted to sort of deflect you back to just just for a moment is um you know one of the themes that's come up in a few of the sessions during the week is this idea of the curvy path these sort of snaky careers that different people take into like into their 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 data careers you know whether they've you know they haven't done the traditional school to university you know into a profession job or you know they've they've come like from different functions of the business like you know they started off in marketing they've come into data and that kind of thing I just wonder if do you have a fit when you're looking at like you're looking over people's shoulder when they're writing these 
slightly bonkers job descriptions. Um, how much are they projecting? Well, this is the way I did it. Therefore, it must be the right way to do it into those job descriptions. And how good are they at like taking a step back and saying, are we measuring the skills in front of us or are we measuring some, you know, our, our assumptions of what the right way to get them looks like? Um, that's a great question, Jenny. I think, um, honestly, I think ignorance is bliss for most people on this. I, I don't think they're thinking about this at all. And I think that's possibly part of the problem, right? And I think that goes back to the disconnect. You know, normally it's the uh, you know, take the CDO, right? They they have a large organization that they're responsible for. They need know they need to go and hire another three or four engineers. You know, they tell HR or whoever deals with that, and that just kind mm-hmm. of gets done. Obviously, internally, yes, they probably have biases around what they think that person should have done and the, the type of platform and where they've come from and their background and experience and all of that type of stuff. But um, but yeah, I, I honestly don't think that many are actually even thinking about that at all. Um, I think we're, we're definitely getting better at the fact that people are open now to kind of accepting that not everyone needs to have gone to university and done a computer science degree and then done a PhD in data you know, data science and then whatever the case may be. I think we're definitely more open to that. The reason we're more open to that, if you want my really honest opinion, is that because talent is hard to find and most businesses don't have a choice. So if we worked in an industry where we didn't have a talent shortage, we'd probably see, in my opinion, more bias as to where the types of people should come from. Um, Back to my kind of example at the start around being stood in that auditorium at the social sciences faculty and it being diverse, you know, the these people are put off coming to the industry. So they either don't know it exists, which is a one big problem, or they are put off because, you know, they look at these entry-level jobs and they're being told that they need two years of experience in in SQL or Python. And it's like, well, these are entry-level jobs. So how how, how does this happen? Um so yeah, it's a. I think it's a. It's a problem. But to answer your question, I don't think. I don't think businesses are even thinking about this. They're they're on the move at such a pace. It's like ah, oh, we need three more people and just go and get them, and we'll worry about the questioning and the thoughts around where they've come from when we interview. And I think the the hilarious thing with the culture in the business for me is that the data, data people, you, you go to any event, they always say the business doesn't care about data. They think that IT jobs or they think that's data's job. The problem is, is they have that same attitude about recruitment. They're like, it's HR's job. That's it's internal talent's job. I don't need you go find the people. And there is that disconnect because there's plenty of leaders out there, as, as you both said, that have a really curvy, snaky path who, you know, I can think off the top of my head. I know people who've come from law, from marketing, from uh, sales, all, all various patterns. And yeah, and they're Geography still having these one. problems. Mm. And they still have these problems because they are passing the buck and saying, well, no, that's that's internal talents problem. And actually, I think there has to be this movement where data leaders take back control and say, actually, it's up to me to to help talent because it's so unique. It's, you know, and and in many organizations, internal talent is hiring for, for all over the place and you can't expect them to be specialists in 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 this area. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, Kyle, I do just, I just want to pull you up for a wee second because I actually think that you've been like un, understating, you know, the, the role of, of businesses like yours in this as well. Uh, you know, when, when you say like, you know, where things are actually improving a little bit, I, I think that you've got to take a little bit of credit for being the the company that sticks your head above the parapet and calls people out on their BS basically so like credit for that just want to pick up uh Ed has put a uh comment in the chat saying I think BCS data BCS women and Dama UK could do with mentoring do they like, they offer this already could we be more proactive with new hires and I do just want to give a, a special plug again like Dama uh like we have a mentoring scheme uh, BTS women certainly have a, a mentoring scheme, and I do think that that's like that's one of the things that we, as kind of you know, self-organizing communities, uh, can be uh, proactive with as well. So really, really positive. Always positive to see new mentoring schemes coming on uh, line. And thank you, 
for yours as well. Uh, Kyle and Catherine, I have learned so much there. This has been absolutely stunning. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for having us. us. All right. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.